This is Olivet United Methodist Church. My name is Dr. Randy Tabor from Olivet United Methodist Church here in sunny Robbinsdale, Minnesota. We want to welcome you to our worship service. Heard good comments on prison ministry. The prisoners are congregating and getting together and watching our, our service. People in nursing homes and in hospitals. And more recently, somebody was just kind of channel surfing and they came across our service. And they said the sinner's prayer and they feel that, you know, they've transitioned from this world into God's heavenly kingdom. So we praise the Lord that we can minister by way of television. We're not high on numbers, but we're high on quality. And any way that we can kind of better minister to you, let us know if there's maybe some numbers that you'd like for us to share by way of television. We have a soloist in that. And he says he's aging, but no, he's getting better. And he, it's a passion, it's a sincerity. We have beautiful organ music and scripture. But if we have to work within the guidelines, we want to make sure that we're com in compliance. As we begin our service today, there are at times that we send out our bulletins. And if you have your bulletin and you would like to turn in your bulletin at this time. And Boone, would you like to come and be prepared to share the scripture that God has called you to share? And as Boone is coming, I would like for you to turn in your bulletins. We have actually more scripture than we have time to share, but I'd like for you to turn to 622, 622, Judgment and Rewards, responsibly reading 622. When the Son of Man comes as King and all the angels with him, he will sit on his royal throne and all the earth's people will be gathered before him. Then he will divide them into two groups, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep at his right and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to the people on the right, you who are blessed by my father, come and receive the kingdom which has been prepared for you ever since the creation of the world. I was hungry and you fed me, thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you received me in your homes, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me in prison and you visited me. The righteous right will then answer him, when Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we ever see you a stranger and welcome you in our homes or naked and clothe you? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer back, I tell you indeed, whenever you did this for one of the least important of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, on his left, away from me, you who are under God's curse, away to the everlasting fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, but you would not feed me, thirsty, but you would not give me drink. I tell you indeed, whenever you refuse to help one of these least important ones, you refuse to help me. These then will be sent off to eternal punishment. The righteous will go to eternal life. I hope that you're on the right, and I hope that you follow God's word according to Matthew chapter 25. Boone, would you come and lead us now with your scripture? And I believe Boone has chosen 660. That's right. It's uh, on one of the flip sides. You might want to look for it on the insert. There's two sides today. Number 660, the new way of life. Listen, all of you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Implore God's blessing on those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, let them slap the other too. If someone demands your coat, give him your shirt besides. Give what you have to anyone who asked for it. And when things are taken away from you, 
Don't worry about getting them back. Treat others as you want them to treat you. Do you think you deserve credit for merely loving those who love you? Even the godless do that. And if you do good only to those who you do good, is that wonderful? Even sinners do that much. Repay you? What good is that? Even the most wicked will lend to their own kind for full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them. And don't be concerned about the fact that they won't repay. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will be truly sons of God. For he is kind to the thankful and to those who are very wicked. Try to show as much compassion as your father does. Never criticize or condemn, or it will all come back on you. Go easy on others, then they will do the same for you. You will get. Your gift will return to you in full and overflowing measure, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, and running over. Whatever measure you use to give, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. From Luke 6, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Bjorn. As we continue in worship today, let's lift up the concerns that are before you. I got a note from Elsie Boquist. She wanted to make it back, I think, almost monthly, but she was battling with cancer and treatment and everything's in remission, and she sent a little note, and I reproduced it and put it in a bulletin. As many of you know, Tina has been struggling with a number of things, and she just doesn't feel very good at all today. She, she woke up and wanted to feed Mike and Boone a very delicious breakfast this morning, but she was nauseous and throwing up, so she's not with us. Father, this morning, as we remember concerns by way of television and those who may be in prison and those who may be in hospitals and those who may be in nursing homes, we remember Karen today, Lord, we... We thank you for the faithfulness of her husband and a love that they've had for some 60 years. Five years of dating in high school and 55 years or so of marriage. We, we thank you, Jesus, for those who have hung in there through thick, thick or thin, for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, and sickness and health. We pray for their marriage. We pray for their health and healing, for Karen's safe return to her husband and family. We pray for Tina as she needs a real touch of God. She puts herself so wholeheartedly into her work. She becomes um, very involved with her husband and home and other activities, and, and she's such a blessing to the church. We pray, Lord, that you continue to minister to Tina. Pray for those by way of television that need not only a physical need, but maybe a financial need, too. We thank you for their faithful prayer support and financial support. We are one of the one and only remaining ministries by way of television our music ministry and our preaching series as we represent protestantism and methodism we our utmost goal is to represent christ and the truth of the scriptures that our basis is scripture tradition reason and experience we pray O oh lord that as we prepare for holy communion today and as we ask each and every one to just grab one or two communion the top of the communion element is just a kind of a cellophane enclosure totally sanitized and they remove the bread of life and then the second cellophane Reynolds wrap will be 
be exposed to the, the grape juice, which represents the body and the blood of Christ, and we'll be getting to that later in the service today. But Father, we just pray that we would be found on the, the right, according to the scripture that was just read. There are various battle lines that have been drawn in life, and there's some unspeakable crimes that are being committed. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would teach us to pray as you taught your followers to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And Mike, would you please come at this time and share scripture? Mike will, be, will not be sharing his, his sermon. He's preparing for a mighty one next week, double duty next week. But if you're following along by way of television or, or radio or YouTube or Facebook, our scripture lesson is taken from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46, and also selected passages Matthew chapter 18, 1 through 5, and 10 through 14. Mike. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Our scripture today is once again taken from Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46. The Lord says, Hear another parable. There was a householder who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, and dug a wine press in it, and built a tower and led it out to tenants, and went into another country. When the season of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servant and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent another of his servants, more than the first, and they did the same to him. Afterward, he went to his son, sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and cast him into the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruits of it. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived they were speaking of them. But when they tried to arrest him, they feared the multitudes because he held them to be a prophet. Mike, would you give us a little update on Tina? You probably yeah. know her condition. And she was Seemed to be fine last night, but this morning she was, she woke up and it was just, she felt achy and vomiting, I suppose would be a proper way to say it. But, uh, so she's just not feeling good. So, so please pray for, for Tina. And I, I know, and I'm sure, Lord will bring peace and healing to her soul and body. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. If you'd all please stand now. Let's turn in our bulletins to a responsive reading you'll find that on page 621 if you'd stand and take a little stretch stretch be 
before our preparation from communion and the sermon that I missed the national right to life. I'm going to be talking about that today. 621 is taken from Matthew's Gospel, the 18th chapter, and Mark 9 and 10, Christ and the children. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and sent him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye become converted, and become as little, little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoso therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were for them that a millstone were in about their neck, and that they were drawn in the depth of the sea. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And they brought young children to Jesus, that Jesus should touch them, and his disciples, even today, rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for as such belong the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, they shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Thank you. You may be seated. Today we're going to um, examine a few things, ask God's blessings on our message, that it would be uh, purely from God. Did everybody get a new uh, telephone directory, a new booklet? If Okay, thank you, thank you. By the way, it's good to have you back, Gary and Kathy, and Kathy and Gary, I trust that you had a, a very enjoyable time. Would you like to give us a little briefing on where you went and what you did? People have been asking, and rather than me doing a one-on-one, -on -one, you can share the entire congregation. Well, as most of you know, there's nothing like feeling close to God when you're in the middle of beautiful nature this time of year. Gary and I were camping with some friends, and we were up at... Lake Vermilion Sudan Mine State Park. And it was not very busy. We had the place almost all to ourselves. There were a few people, but it's spaced so that wherever you look, it's just, it's, there's just such beauty. I took a few pictures, a few were posted online, and I know a few of you saw that. It was just a lot of fun. It was relaxing. It did rain. <laughs> So we spent a lot of time running from near the fire to under our awning that we have on our little trailer. But even so, it was just, it was nice spending time with friends and, like I say, just feeling like you're communing with God. Thank you. Thank you. Gary and welcome back. Yes, we got some pictures of, it looked like a little damp ground and, and Gary was trying to 
start a fire. Were you part of the Boy Scouts, Gary? Okay, I kind of figured that, yeah. I was a part of the Girl Scouts. Yeah. Yes, amen. We um, can really enjoy nature. I, I've had a few weddings up in that particular area when I served at Deer River Big Falls, that whole Vermilion area across the border was just beautiful. Not that there was a big change between the Minnesota and Canadian border, but people chose sometimes to just cross the border and, and say their vows. And, and they'd times ask me, well, are they as effective in the States as in Canada? And I said, yeah, you know, for better, for worse, richer, or poor, sickness and health, God blesses. We're living in a time where it seems like, you know, we, we talk about battle lines. And the church is kind of to be the salt, the light, the leaven, and try to bring some sense of reconciliation. Many of you remember um, Alice Greer, Alice Greer, and periodically if Alice knew I was going to be gone or so, she'd um, say, well, can, can you get my son to come from Pennsylvania and, and he, can, um, he can preach? And, and I knew I was always going to be gone that Sunday right around deer hunting season, so I'd always book Dr. Greer to fill the pulpit. And he'd come make reservations to see his mother because his mother's, Alice Greer's birthday was right around um, that November 8th time frame, and he'd preach. I talked with him, or he called me here just a few days ago, and he said that he's um, struggling with a cancer. Um, so do remember um, Dr. Greer and your thoughts and prayers, and Alice Greer was a special lady. She was a secretary to the bishop, and she chose to kind of follow me around. I was her minister at Asbury United Methodist um, 35 years ago when she was um, secretary to the bishop. And then she was a member here for, for many years until she ended up in a nursing home. When um, Dr. Dolores Bernadette Greer died on February 22nd, 2018. Alice was, was a real pioneer. She was one of the first um, Methodists that a number of years ago married a, a black individual. And, and whenever Alice and Ben went to Methodist activities, you know, some 50, 60 years ago, um, it wasn't quite as accepted. They were into almost their 25th anniversary before Alice's parents accepted Ben as their son-in-law, which created a lot of tension in raising the grandchildren because they did not initially accept the grandchildren. When Dr. Dolores... Bernadette Greer died on February 22nd, 2018. There were three communities, three communities that mourned. The pro-life community, the Catholic community, and the African-American community. The founder of the Association of the Blacks Catholics Against Abortion Dr. Greer was inspired by 
the opposition to abortion in 1977 after hearing a speech by the civil rights leader, Jesse Jackson. It wasn't too many years ago when Jesse Jackson was here in our church. When the carpenters here, he was invited and he spoke in the evening. Jesse Jackson. Well, back in 1977, after Jesse Jackson's speech, um, Dr. Greer went up to her, him and she said, Reverend Jackson, I'm going to join the pro-life, pro-life movement. You and the pro-life movement need young, black, colored folks. And I am of the color, and I'm young. Well, Dr. Dolores Greer deeply admired the Reverend Congressman Jackson as, as he did. He, he was positioned as a, a black presidential pro-life Democrat. And then in an interview published two months, two months after the Roe versus Wade decision, Reverend Jackson told Jet J.E.T. Magazine. He spoke specifically, and it was large black letters, that abortion is, is genocide. That he went on to say, and his thesis and his premise was that anything growing, anything growing is alive. That was kind of during the time that Madame Murray O'Hare was working with her son, Bill, and the great controversy and the chaos that was occurring, and Bill Murray, by the way, Bill Murray was excommunicated by his mother. They did not speak at all for years. And Bill became, and currently is an evangelist, a Christian evangelist. Well, Dolores Greer was, was heartbroken years later when the Reverend Jesse Jackson sought the support of the hard left, the hard left wing of the Democratic Party for his presidential run, and, and he reversed his stance on abortion killing babies. Dr. Greer gave a speech in 1989 for the American Life League saying that abortion is racism. Killing baby, the unborn, is racism. It's a way of pruning, she went on to say to correctly. She said it's a way of pruning, if you will, the black population. In 1973, shortly after the civil rights struggles when there were more benefits for black people, she went that all of a sudden we were given this free, this free thing from the society of the American Abortion Society. She went on to stipulate that 78%, nearly 8 out of 10 
of free abortions clinics were placed in the black and the urban areas for the purpose of something free of charge from the racist society. And to put it in the words of one pro-abortionist, pro-baby killer, we, we don't need, we don't need so many Negroes anymore. There's no more cotton to pick. Taken from the American Life League news was also listed in C-SPAN. It was a debate on pro-life commission. Dr. Greer joined an exodus, an exodus departure of Democrats from the party they and their families had been committed to for generations. Such was the exodus of the Tabers and the Steakins. I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. Suddenly there was a, a threatening and a besieging by ending the traditions and the practices that went back to the foundings of the nations near the time of John and Charles Wesley in the New Enlightenment, the emphasis upon what he considered his theology, the quadrilateral triangle of Wesleyanism, of scripture, tradition, reason, and experience that we as Christians should always view each and every matter of policy and practice and the book of discipline on scripture, tradition, reason, and experience by reversing even longer standing moral attitudes and by doing so it seemed like overnight the Supreme Court had produced an earthquake in the political landscape by establishing new moral codes based on questionable interpretations of the Constitution and inserting them into the very foundations of the nation by, by imposing them simultaneously on every precinct in every city and every state in the Union. Regardless of their inhabitants, were sympathetic to the new codes or not, nine, nine politically appointed justices of the Supreme Court had declared war on everyone who viewed the changes as assaults on their identities as Americans or on, or on their fundamental, fundamental religious beliefs or simply on their membership in communities that did not approve of those changes. During my seminary days, I was fortunate to be um, part of, before our, our marriage, I, I was with a number of students that had, had left the law profession, the law professions. Mike Obenhauer was my, my roommate, and he was a professional practicing attorney, and, and he, he went into the ministry because he thought he could have more effect on policy and practice and discipline in the ministry than he did in law. In a dissent from one of the Supreme Court post-Roe abortion decisions, Justice Scalia, you've heard his name a number of times rightly, observed that by foreclosing all democratic outlets for the deep passions that this issue arouses, he writes, by launching the same from the political forum that gives all participants, even the losers, the the satisfaction of a fair hearing and an honest fight by continuing the imposition of a rigid national rule instead of allowing for regional differences. The court merely pro prolongs and intensifies the anguish of Planned Parenthood versus the case of Casey, Casey versus 
Planned Parenthood. And over the years, the anguish has hardened into resistance in case 505 U.S. courts, 1002, and, and the Americans have come, become divided not only over the particular issues, but over the fundamental laws of the nation itself, and even more ominously over what it means to be a Christian, to be American. Now, these Supreme Court decisions and the politics that inspired them were, were assaults on American pluralism, pluralism on the diversity of American communities and on the fundamental American principles of equity and, and religious liberty. The court itself, however, is only an instrument. The force behind the assaults was a radical, radical movement whose members are convinced that the, the society was a society of transforming ends which would justify the undemocratic and the extra constitutionality and even this racist means. Their legal teams march the issues through the courts and, and shape the arguments, especially the in, invented right to privacy, to take advantage of an authority that could impose their minority agendas on an entire nation. The Roe decision divided the nation along ideological and cultural and even geographical fault lines. The pro-abortion, pro-baby killing camp was, was so radical and cosmopolitan and concentrated on two, two liberal coasts. The concentration was heavily organized in the New York area and, and the Hollywood area. And it was represented in a left-wing organization and institution like that of the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, the National Abortion and Reproductive Rights Action League, the Democratic Party, academia, and the news media. And on the pro-life side were Americans who resided in a more rural and, and religious America centered in the Bible Belt, but including Catholic urban areas. And these communities felt directly assaulted by the role and the radical forces behind it. And they experienced this threat to their own communities as viscerally as they did the threat from the communists in the ongoing Cold War of that time. And it seemed like there was no room for compromise. The Roe decision provoked a, a seismic public reaction, an earthquake. The, the Second Vatican Council had already condemned the killing of babies and abortion as an unspeakable, unspeakable crime in 1962. And so it was no surprise that within months of the 1973 Roe versus Wade decision that the Catholic Church founded the Right to Life movement. The National Conference of Catholic Bishops declared that it was a moral imperative existed for a well-planned and coordinated political organization by citizens at the national, state, and local levels. And this global movement was to add a, a right to life amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And the, the immediate result of the church's statement, the march, was to destroy the political coalition that had created this New Deal party powered by the Democratic Party to electoral victories for three generations. In his book, Left 
at the altar, Democratic Party centrist Michael Winters explored the political schism caused by the role versus Wade. Abortion, Winters wrote, was the iceberg against which the New Deal coalition of Catholics and liberals sank. It wasn't merely the abortion, the killing of babies issues that sank, sank the ship, but the coalition was destroyed by the offensive and the demeaning arguments put forth by the defenders of Roe, especially the radical feminists. They hailed Roe as a, a victory in the feminist battle to overthrow the existing order. The radicals' demands were framed in such a very, very aggressive and offensive way that a split became inevitable. Catholics heard echoes of anti-Catholic bigotry and and eugenics in the arguments for liberalizing abortion laws, echoes that were disturbing and very unwelcome. And the word sacrament was even used. Sacrament, along with the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the body and the shedding of the blood, the word sacrament was a calculated attack on Catholics' beliefs in, in a sense that accused them of azogamy. And more important was the series of non-negotiable claims underlining the feminist arguments that abortion is just another form of contraception, that a woman has a right to control her own body regardless of the decisions that caused her the pregnancies by the rights of the unborn child, the forfeiture of the rights of the unborn child. And to the feminist, abortion was the cornerstone of gender equality and women's liberation, that an unborn fetus is not a baby, is not a person, but merely a blob of tissue, part of the woman's body. During this season, as we prepare, not only for communion, the body of Christ that was broken for us, the bread of life, his body which was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us, but we need to ask ourselves the question of, what is Christmas all about? It seems like yesterday we were thinking about Memorial Day or Labor Day and as we think of Thanksgiving and the Advent season. We think of the Christian faith, the assaults that are upon the Christian faith. The battle lines are really un unspeakable and unimaginable. To end this morning, to end this morning, then let us end on a kind of a happy note. Fifty years ago, no, actually, 55 years ago, A Charlie Brown Christmas was the first broadcast on American television. How many years ago? 55. Does it seem that many? And some network executives thought it would be, it would be ignored, while others worried that quoting the Bible would offend viewers. And some wanted its creators, Charles Schultz, to omit the Christmas story. But Schultz insisted it stay in. And the program was an immediate success and has been rebroadcasted every year since 1965. Myself, my parents, my children, and now my grandchildren watch Charlie Brown's Christmas story. Now, when you remember how it goes when Charlie Brown was, was in the frustrated director of the children's Christmas play and he was discouraged by all the commercial spirit of the holiday season, and he asked if anyone, if anyone can tell him the real meaning of Christmas. 
And Linus recites Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, including the words, For unto you is born, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards all. Then Linus says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. During this upcoming season of Thanksgiving and preparation and the advent of Christ, if we make it to the advent season, during this season filled with our own doubts and, and our own dreams, it's good to ponder afresh God's great gift, God's great love expressed in the familiar story of Joseph, Mary, and the baby, the baby Jesus, and the angels who announced the Savior's birth. So that's what the season is all about, and that's the reason that you and I can go about calling and considering ourselves Christians. And that's what Christmas is all about. Father, this morning, Father in heaven, as we approach Christmas, may we grasp a deeper way of your amazing gift to us, as we see the battle lines and the great controversies going on in the Supreme Court and political parties and husbands and wives and families and the divisions that occur, God broke into human history to offer us a gift of salvation. We partake this morning in a very symbolic sense of the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us <coughs> for the forgiveness of our sins. We take of this blood which represents your blood. We take of this body, which represents our healing, and we pray for the healing of Keenan, Karen, and, <coughs> and Marie, and others, those by way of television and radio and YouTube and Facebook that we are privileged to bring our ministry to today. Bless, O oh Lord, these gifts and these givers in our preparation now for Holy Communion. Amen. We're going to use the... Um, of the military preparation for Holy Communion, which always includes confession and salvation, sanctification and justification, you'd repeat with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. Your body was broken for me. Your blood was shed for me. Bless, O oh Lord, these elements which represent your body and blood. Come to my heart and life. May these symbols go forth with me and empower me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me now for the doxology? Are there any announcements before Mike and Gary? You want to both come up and 
be prepared to share. Any other announcements? There's an there's a trustee meeting is coming Wednesday, and I am not sure what Mike may be sharing. I want to share with you uh, kind of a revelation I had. When I was studying the scripture and Jesus talking about little children, I was thinking, okay, 14 and under. No, he was not. That was not the only thing he was referring to. When you receive Jesus in your heart, you become a child of God. He wasn't just speaking of people under 12. He was speaking of the Christians. And when you, uh, let's see, if you do not receive a Christian, you do not receive him. Because he is in them. He is in us. And the other thing I'd like to say is, um, I had a kind of, another, kind of another revelation. I was like, abortion, eh, okay, it's icky. But you know what? The child is aborted. It is a child. It's not a fetus, not a massive tissue. It is an actual developing human being born upon the grace of God. It's not their fault how they were conceived. That's the way I looked at it. Now, now I almost changed my, my view of abortion. I thought, well, if a woman gets uh, raped or incest or something really terrible, evilly like that, of course, she shouldn't be stuck with the baby. But that's wrong. What if that baby is the next Martin Luther King, the next Einstein? You don't know what God has planned for that baby. So it's not our job to decide whether they live or die. Period. That's what I thought. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. And Gary? Mike, you be sure and take two communion cups for Tina. trustee meeting at 9 a.m. Also, I'd just like to apologize. Uh, I know it'd like to be a little warmer in here, but I went to fire up this, uh, this wonderful uh, furnace we have down there, and it uh, just wouldn't go. A little electronic problem, and I'm sure I can get it fixed, but uh, only when... Uh, <laughs> one of the person that knows something about electronics comes over to fix it. So we'll get that uh, furnace fired up uh, when it really gets cold. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Anna. I want to thank you, Gary, for probably not putting heat. There's no one that fell asleep this morning. Everybody was very alert. So October 14th, um, trustee, trustee, trustee meetings. And a third of the trustees can be non-members. So, I mean, just go by the way, the highways and byways and and you can be a, um, a part of the trustees um, and we need, you know, willing workers. And if it comes to an ultimate decision, you know, of your voting, then we'd encourage you to become a member. Um, any other announcements this morning? Yes. I see that hand back here, Chris. I believe Thursday morning at 930. That was the time when most people could make it Thursday morning because we're experiencing some technical difficulties on the Zoom situation. That, that takes the Wednesday night one in, in place of Wednesday night one. We're hoping that Janet can come. We miss Janet and Vern and Jeannie and others. 
I couldn't participate in the Zoom on Wednesday nights and, and be, be present on the big 